This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Good to be here with you today. We're in week two of our series, The Daniel Dilemma, uh, based on a book called The Daniel Dilemma. Not real creative. Kept the same name. But uh, anyways, if you were here last week, what the question of this series is, what we're talking about, is with culture constantly changing and culture culture constantly shifting, shifting, how does the Christian stay strong in our culture? How do we choose not to compromise in our culture? And, um, and what we want to do as Christians is we don't just want to endure culture. Right? Like, we don't just want to suffer through it. Oh, woe is me. The world hates us. The world's again. <sighs> right? Anybody ever been there? No, just me? Okay. Um, but we don't just want to suffer through culture or endure culture, but we want to be able to influence culture. And so that's kind of where we started off last week, talking about how we can be an influence in culture. And what we said is, hey, culture is going to try to indoctrinate you. Culture is going to try to rename you. They're going to tell you who you are, that you're somebody else, that you're not who God says you are. Culture is going to try to re rename God. Hey, God, that's not really who God is. A loving God wouldn't say that. A loving God wouldn't do that. That, that can't be who God. Let, let, let us tell you who God really is, right? So culture is going to try to rename or change who God is. And in spite of that, and when we face that as Christians, two things we must do is we must reaffirm our convictions and we must stay strong in our convictions. And then as we do that, how we respond to our culture matters a whole lot. Like anybody ever know that how you respond to something matters just as much as what is happening, right? How you respond to a situation matters just as much as the thing that has happened in the situation. And so in that, what we want to do as Christians is we want to respond with grace and truth to the culture around us. And how we do that is we believe that it's possible as Christians to respond to our culture, to love our culture well, offer our culture grace, while also standing firm in the truth. And so that's where we kind of kicked off our series and Today, I want to talk to you about something interesting that we see in our culture, and we're calling it the Babylon mentality. The Babylon mentality. And the Babylon mentality is a mindset that we kind of adapt or adopt in our culture. And if you remember last week, we, we talked about Daniel choosing not to eat the king's food. And, and one, one way that the Babylonians were trying to indoctrinate Daniel was to make him break his customary eating restrictions according to his Jewish faith. And so they're going to bring him in and his faith said, hey, these are some restrictions on your diet. These are some things that, that, you're, that you're not allowed to eat. And, and one way that the Babylonians were going to indoctrinate him was immediately say, hey, we're going to give you all this other stuff that breaks all those rules. We want you to, to take that on. And so what Daniel did is he chose to not do that. As a matter of fact, he risked his life to say, hey, no, I'm going to stick to my heritage. I'm going to stick to my faith. And as a matter of fact, when he said, hey, I'm going to stick to that, what I want you to do is I want you to test me for 10 days. I want you to compare me to the other guys eating this other food and see who comes out better and stronger. And so the, the chief says, all right, we'll do that. And if you look at Daniel 1, 11 through 16, I'm actually just going to read verse 15 there. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So Daniel stays strong in his convictions. And it says that because of this, he was better 
than everyone else. He looked better than everyone else. And I, and I believe that was God giving favor on Daniel for saying, staying firm and strong and his convictions. But, we, but God's favor on Daniel doesn't just stop there. As a matter of fact, check out Daniel 1, 17 through 21. It says, God gave these four men, the four men who, who stuck on this diet, knowledge and understanding of every kind of literature and wisdom. And Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. So now he's able to interpret dreams and visions, which is kind of crazy. And at the end of time, the king had said to present them, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king. Uh, the king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about. He found them ten times, not one times, not two times, not three, that's where I was going with that, not three times, but 10 times better than the diviners and priests and mediums in the entire kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so here they are, they stay strong in their convictions and God gives them favor because of their faithfulness and they get moved into this position of influence in their kingdom. Keep in mind, this was the king who had conquered their land. This was the king who had exiled them from their home. They've left their home. They've been put in this new place where they could have just been suffering, where they could have just been feeling sorry for themselves, where they could have just gone along and said, all right, we'll give in. We'll do whatever. Just don't kill us. But they stand firm in their convictions. God places them in a position of influence, not just in the kingdom, but over the very same king who conquered them and exiled them. And now they have an opportunity to influence the culture and the kingdom itself. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty amazing. And so here they are now in this position of influence, and Daniel's going to get some opportunities to speak to the king, to influence the king. And one of those ways is by interpreting dreams for the king. And so let's look at Daniel chapter four. I want to show you one of these dreams. As a matter of fact, he interprets a dream earlier in chapter two. We're going to look at that next week. But here's, here's this dream that the king has. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. So he's living it up. Life is good. I had a dream and it frightened me. Anybody ever have like a scary dream? Like this, this uh, I think it was Friday night or Thursday night. I told Kay, I was like, man, I was having some crazy dreams. I woke up at like two in the morning and we have a sound machine in our room because I'm like, if light hits me, I wake up, right? If there's like a cricket outside, I'm like, kill that thing, right? So we have this sound machine. It plays this like water, like ri like rivers, you know, or whatever. I don't, I don't, the ocean is the ocean. Katie's back there, the ocean. Anyways. And so I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming, and I guess the sound kind of came into my dream, and I dreamed that I was swimming in the ocean. Everything was peaceful and great. And then all of a sudden, like a drain got unplugged, and I start spinning, and the water starts like disappearing and going down this drain. And I woke up. I was sweating. I was freaked out. I was like terrified. <laughs> like I don't know what was going on, but I don't know what that means. I need someone to tell me what that means. Like is my life spinning out of control? I don't know. But all that to say, I had to – I had a scary dream, not to make this about myself. Nebuchadnezzar says, it frightened me while in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's living it up. He's flourishing. He's relaxing. He has this dream that scares him. 
And I'm going to just tell you the dream because we're reading a lot of scripture today. And, and chapter four, it's a long dream. So I'm going I'm to tell you kind of what's going on. He has this dream. And, and in the dream, there's this huge tree. And, and it says that it was this big and fruitful tree. It says it was this flourishing tree, that its height was great, that it was large and strong. As a matter of fact, it says that the tree was visible to the ends of the earth. So it's this magnificent, beautiful, amazing tree. And, and in the dream, it says that this tree provided food for all the animals around it. And there's all these birds and animals that live in the tree that it provides a home for. And it says that there's all these animals that find shelter underneath the tree. This is kind of a pretty cool tree, don't you think? Pretty amazing. And so it's this amazing, flourishing tree. And, this, and in the dream, it says out of nowhere what the dream calls the observer. The observer calls out for the tree to be cut down, stripped, and scattered. So here's this beautiful, amazing tree who's providing shelter for all around and providing food for all around. It can be seen to the ends of the earth. And a voice calls out and says, cut down the tree. It says, cut down the tree. It says, strip it, scatter it, leave nothing but the stump behind with a band of iron and bronze around it. The observer then says, this is all happening so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. Would that scare you a little bit if you had a dream like that? It would probably, if some water, if a drain scared me, that would probably scare me, right? And as you can imagine, this dream scares him. And so he calls for the magicians. He calls for the wise men. He calls for the enchanters. He says, come, interpret this dream for me. Interpret this dream for me. And no one can do it. No, no one can figure out what this means. And so eventually one of the guys is like, hey, what about that Daniel guy? Like, because in chapter two earlier, he interprets another dream for him. We're in chapter four. He's like, hey, what about that Daniel? He did a pretty good job with that other dream. Why don't you go find, why don't you go find him? So they bring in Daniel. Here comes Daniel. And, and here again, here's an opportunity for Daniel to have influence over the kingdom, influence over the king. And he interprets the dream for the king. God gives him the interpretation of the dream. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to take courage for Daniel to tell the king the truth. It's going to take courage because this ain't no uh, friendly dream. This isn't like, hey, things are going to be great for you, right? Things are going to go well. Daniel's going to tell King Nebuchadnezzar something that really could probably get him killed, right? Daniel 4, 22 through 25. Daniel says, that tree is you, king. Ouch. <laughs> For you have become strong and your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth, which is true because at this point in history, Bab Babylon is the probably the greatest and most powerful nation in the world. Everybody knows about Babylon. The tree can be seen at the ends of the earth. Verse 23, the king saw an observer, the holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave a stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty. Woo! What an interpretation. And this is the sentence of the Most High. He's saying, God is putting this sentence on you, like this punishment that has been passed against you, my Lord. This is the sentence that's passed against you, my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people to live with wild animals. 
That sounds fun. And you will feed on the grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time, seven years, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. So Daniel comes and he says, hate to tell you, king, but you the tree. You the tree. You're great and mighty. You're about to be cut down. And side note, you're also going to go crazy. <laughs> you're going to go loopy. You're going to be driven away. You're going to live with animals. You're going to eat the grass like a cow, right? Babylon, by the way, means confusion. So you're about to get confused for seven years until you acknowledge that God is sovereign over the kingdom of men, that it's not you who are great. It's not you who gave you all this stuff, but it's God who did this. Until you acknowledge that, you're going to be eating grass like a cow. And then in verse 27, Daniel basically <laughs> cries out, he's like, Nebuchadnezzar, why don't you just go ahead and repent now? Why, why don't you just go ahead and turn from your sin now? Why don't you just, he said, maybe God won't do this. Maybe if you go ahead and turn from your sin now, if you repent now, acknowledge God now, then he'll go, okay, all right, we, we'll hold back on this. What do y'all think Nebuchadnezzar does? <laughs> do we ever? <laughs> Verse Daniel 4, 28 through 33. This section is entitled, The Sentence Executed. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So about a year later, as he was walking on the roof of his royal palace, right? Luxury, enjoying life, walking on the roof of the royal palace, the king exclaimed, Listen to what he says, all right? Daniel, Daniel warned him, listen to what the King Nebuchadnezzar says. Is this not Babylon the Great? that I have built by my vast power. Come on, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> to be a royal residence to display my majestic glory. Like you ever watch a movie and you just see something coming and you're like, come on, man, don't do this. Don't do this. This is what I feel like reading this. Like, Nebby, come on, man, you know. He warned you. I have built with my vast power to display my glory. Like, idiot, man. Anyways, all right. 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth. So as he's saying this, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. Man, you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men and he gives it to anyone he wants. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed and he was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky. Check out this part. This is just funny. Until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. What in the world, man? So here's Nebuchadnezzar walking along his royal palace, thinking about how great he is, how incredible he is, how the things that he built for himself are so great, all of them to glorify him. He's basically worshiping himself here. And as he's saying these things, he goes crazy. And he goes out to eat from the grass like a cow. Grows out some long hair like a madman and gets some big old claws. He literally goes insane. Like, could you, <laughs> could you imagine being part of like the king's cabinet there? 
Like you walk in the room and Nebuchadnezzar is just eating on the ground. Oh, this looks good. Like, what are we going to do here? <laughs> like the king thinks he's a cow. What do we do? So, like what? Like, Mike, what are we going? Where are we going here? What is this all about? Well, I'm, I want to talk to you today about something that Nebuchadnezzar is carrying with him and living with. And the reason why I think he goes nuts here. And today we're calling it the Babylon mentality. And the Babylon mentality is something that God is going to break Nebuchadnezzar of. It's also something that God will break us of if we live with it. And and the thing that happens when we live with this Babylon mentality is it makes us go crazy. It puts our thoughts out of order. It puts our priorities out of order. And it lies to you about how important you are. It lies to you about how great you are. And the Babylon mentality is all about the great sin of the Babylon mentality is that it lowers God and it elevates ourselves. It lowers God and it elevates ourselves. Let me show you. I'm going to show you three places real quick where this shows up. Genesis chapter three, the beginning of time is the first place we see this. Satan's first words out of his mouth are about tricking mankind into believing this mentality. It says, the serpent was most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so God sets up this beautiful garden of Eden. He says, hey, one rule, life is great. Don't eat from that tree. Everything else, do whatever you want. Everything's going to go great. Serpent shows up and says, hey, did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Listen to the serpent's response. If it wasn't so evil, it'd be great. He says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and, what's that say? You will be like God. God's, no, God's like, eat that. Your eyes will, you'll be just as good as God. You will be like God. And Satan's lie from the beginning is that I'm all about you. Hey, I can give you what you want. You're important. You're so special. You're so special. You can be just as big and important as God. God's not that special. Matter of fact, you can be just like him. He's not, he's not that special. You can be just, you can be just like him. Man, God doesn't care about, he only cares for himself. You can be just as big, just as bad, just as important as God. And they fall for it. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, right? (laughs) See, the Babylon mentality says, look at how great I am. I don't need God. I can do everything for myself that God could do for me. A few chapters later, check this out, the Tower of Babel. Remember I told you, Babylon means confusion. Babel, root word Babylon, Babel means confusion too. Mankind decides to build this tower to the heavens. Check out why they decide to build this great tower to the heavens. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower with its top to the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. So let us build ourselves a city. We don't need God. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's glorify ourselves. Let's show the world how great we are. Otherwise, we'll be scattered to the face of the whole earth. See, this idea behind the the Tower of Babel is let's make ourselves great. Let's make a name for ourselves. And and this Babylon mentality is all about my self-interest, my glory. Look at me. Look what I can do. It promotes me. 
And the Babylon mentality is this deranged way of thinking. And, and, and the truth about living with this mentality is that if you follow it, it's going to cause confusion in your life. It's going to cause confusion in your life. Let me show you one last place that it shows up. This is uh, in Isaiah chapter 47, and I'm just going to read 8 through 10, but if you actually read the whole chapter, if you look at the top of the chapter, it's called the fall of Babylon. The fall of Babylon. And here's what he says. So this is God basically passing judgment on Babylon. So now hear this, lover of luxury, who sits securely. This is self-security. I don't need you, God. I can do this myself. Who says to herself, I exist and there is no one else. I will never be a widow or know the loss of children. That's what God's saying. This is what you're saying to yourself. You're so self-confident. You don't think anything could ever happen to you. God says to him, two things will happen to you. Suddenly in one day, the loss of children and widowhood is going to come out of nowhere. And this will happen to you in their entirety in spite of your many sorceries and the, the potency of your spells. What God's saying to him is you can't stop it. You can call the magicians you want. You can cast all the spells you want. You live with this mentality. You can't stop what's about to happen to you. You were secure in your wickedness and you said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge led you astray and you said to yourself, I exist and there is no one else. I exist and there is no one else. Another way to translate that there, I exist, is to say, I am. I am and there is no one else. See, Babylon's motto, and this is in your notes, if you want to write that down, your, Babylon's motto is, I am, and there is no one else. See, the motto of, of Babylon gets us focused, thinking that we're smarter than God, we know more than God, we don't need God. And you're like, Mike, I'm in church, I would never say that. I would never say that. It's not always what you say, right? It's how you live. And sometimes with our lives, the way we live our lives, we live in that way. And see, the, this Babylon thinking, what it does is, number one, is it elevates myself. It elevates myself. I'm as important as God. I'm pretty big. I'm pretty bad. I'm pretty important. Second thing the Babylon mentality does to us is it makes us self-adoring. Again, I'm so special. Look how great I am. What is the biggest craze in the world right now? What do they call that? Can I get a selfie? Does anybody take pictures of anybody else anymore? Right? Just myself. Y'all think I hate social media. I don't. I'll take a selfie with you after church just to prove I don't. Just tag my favorite pastor who I love. He's the best pastor ever. Isn't he so great? He's my pastor and there is no one else. Just kidding. Do not put that. <laughs> the Babylon mentality is also self-building. I can do it myself. I can make it myself. I can white knuckle it myself. I don't need God. It's self-indulging. If it feels good, do it. God loves me. He would never tell me I can't, I can't have what I want. I can't, it feels good. I can, it's okay. If he loved me, he wouldn't. But the biggest sin of the Babylon mentality is that it lowers God. It makes God, it tells you that God's not as big, as strong, as powerful, as great, as deserving of glory as he is. Like our God is deserving of all glory, all honor, all worship, all adoration. And the Babylon mentality removes that from God, removes us from glorifying, worshiping, adoring God, and it turns that on ourselves. That's the greatest sin of the Babylon mentality. What did, what did, what did the, the devil say to Adam and Eve? 
oh, you can be just as important as God. You can be like God. You don't need to worship him. It, it mocks God. And the reason why I, I changed the way we translate or I told you the different translation of that verse of from I exist and there is no one else to I am is there is no one else is because those words there that God is using or that Babylon is saying to themselves and then God is, is you know, pulling out and saying this is an issue. Those are the same words. It's a blatant mockery of God. You say, what do you mean? In Exodus, when God shows up to Moses and Moses says to God, who are you? Tell me your name so that I can tell the world who you are. How does God respond? He says, I am that I am. And what the Babylons are saying, they're mocking God. They're saying, I am. And there is no one else. What they're saying in the, with their words are, I am God. And there is no one else. I am God. And there is no one else. See, the Babylon mentality tells us the lie and makes us think that we, in fact, are the center of the universe. And I, I got to be careful with this myself because, like, I think about my kids and I'm like, man, I, my, like, my kids, I, you talk about telling them they're so special and they're the best and they're perfect and they're like, I do that, man. And it's no wonder. Like, if you have good parents that love you and they raise you up telling you how special you are, it makes, it's, of course we would feel this way, right? But that's the, that's the lie of this Babylon mentality. It makes us think that we're the center of the universe. And, and, and so here you have Nebuchadnezzar. He's feeling the same way. He's walking the castle. Think about how amazing he is, how great he is, how, how amazing the things that he built are. And it makes him go insane eating grass like a cow. Anybody want to do that? Come on, no, right? And the truth of the matter is that in the end, the Babylon mentality leads us to insanity. It leads us to insanity. Anybody ever felt insane before? Like, like <laughs> there's sometimes like your brain just gets twisted up and you just feel all over the place and you feel insane. Like whenever our son Judah was first born, um, you know, if you've got kids, you know, you don't get a whole lot of sleep those first few weeks, months, years, Right. And so the first, the first week or two that he was born, we were going to give him a bath. And so Katie goes, and she's getting a little tub already. And she goes, Mike, hey, can you bring, bring Judah in here to me? And, you know, I'm being a good dad, you know, taking care of him. So I walk in there, and I just set him down in the tub, and she's right there. And I walk out of the room. She goes, Mike, what are you doing? And I walk back in the room. I go, what? She says, look. I look at him. <laughs> what? I had put that kid in there in the tub, fully clothed. <laughs> and she literally had to point it out to me. I'm looking at him like, I don't see anything wrong with this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sometimes you go crazy, am I right? Sometimes you go crazy. Sometimes our brains get jacked up. Sometimes insanity sits in and we need to be broken of it. Sometimes the solution is sleep. Sometimes it's something more. And here's what I would say is that if we live with this mentality, God will break you of it. Like, like we will have breakthrough moments in life where we realize, oh, I'm not that big. Oh, I'm not that great. Oh, I'm not that important. And, and the one from Nebuchadnezzar was God goes crazy, right? I don't want that to happen to me, right? For other times, it's, it's when we get sick, right? Great sickness, or even for me, I'm like, I get a cold. I'm like, Jesus, I need you. Help me. I'm not that great, right? I'm not lying. I am pathetic when I get sick. Sometimes it's tragedy. There's a reason why after tragedies, the churches are full because people get snapped out of it and realize, oh, we need God here. It's the breaking of that Babylon mentality, right? 
sometimes crisis hit our lives and we go, oh, okay, I need God. I'm not as big and bad as I thought. And here's what I say is that God will break every one of this mentality. And you may think, well, I know so-and-so and I got it. They may live their whole life. I don't think God's going to do it. Here's what I would say is death humbles all of us. And I hope it doesn't take me that long to be broken of this, right? Like Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, I, I pray that, that we would repent and turn to God if we're living that mentality before he has to come and break us of it. But here's what I would say is that when we're living in that mentality, we know it's wrong. We feel broken. We understand that we weren't designed this way. Like we're designed to glorify God, to worship God, to adore God. And, and that Babylon mentality, it turns us away from that, the way that we were designed, the way that we were created. We know there's something wrong with it deep within us. And what I would say to you today is there can be healing and restoration from that mindset. Like check this out. This is, this is so cool. I want to show you something that just about how amazing our God is. Daniel chapter 4, 22 to 23. And this is, again, this is where uh, Daniel's casting judgment on, on Nebuchadnezzar. This is him telling him, hey, here's what's about to happen to you. Check this out. He says, the tree is you, the king, for all you have become great and strong and your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, dramatic pause, cut down the tree and destroy it. But it's always good when there's a but in the Bible. Leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Here's what God says to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to cut down the tree. I'm going to bring it to its knees. I'm going to remind you that I am God, that I am king, that I am in charge, but I'm going to leave a stump with the roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze around it and the tender grass of the field. You say, why does God point that out? Because God always leaves a chance for restoration. God always leaves a chance of restoration. He doesn't say, I'm going to completely destroy the tree. I'm going to uproot it. I'm going to rip it to shreds. I'm going to leave it with no hope. What God says is, I'm going to humble the tree. I'm going to remind the tree that I am God. I'm going to restore sanity to the tree in the form of insanity. How ironic is that? And then when the tree's ready, when it realizes that I'm king, when it decides to repent and turn from its sin, I'm going to let that stump grow again. And I'm going to, I'm going to make that stump great again. I'm going to let the tree grow again. I'm going to leave the roots behind so that it can be strong healthy, restored again, flourishing again. How amazing is that? Like I, when I was studying this this week and I was writing this down, like I just had to stop and be like, God, thank you for that. Because God doesn't cut down the tree, rip out the roots, leave no hope. He says, I'm going to leave a remnant behind. And when you're ready to turn from your wicked ways, when you humble yourself, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. And I'm going to let that tree grow again. And that's exactly what he does for Nebuchadnezzar. Can somebody say amen today? He goes crazy. He lives this way for seven years and then he repents. And you would think, just as a side note, that it would not take a man seven years to repent from that. Right? Like God's like, I'm going to turn you into a cow. No, you're not cow. God, I'm sorry. Right? Like, come on. <laughs> 
I'd like to think that I would, you know, go quicker than that, but we're stubborn people, right? Check this out. Daniel 4, 34 through 37. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up from heaven, my sanity returned to me, and I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever for his dominion. So now he's going to start just worshiping God for his dominion, his everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants. Took him long enough to figure that out, right? With the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. And there is no one who can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom and my advisors and my nobles sought me out. Check this out. God had cut down the tree, left the roots behind, left the stump behind. And when the tree was ready to repent and turn, here's what he does. He says, and I was reestablished. Anybody need to be reestablished? I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. That's pretty cool. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven because all of his works are true. His ways are just. How funny is that? He just turned him into a cow and he's going, your ways are true and you are fair. Wow. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Nebuchadnezzar turns and he worships God. God reestablishes him over his kingdom. Even more greatness came to him. He was bigger, better, badder than he was before. But because his mind was right, because he had God in his rightful place, things go a lot better this time. And I don't know if he ever truly became a follower of God or not, but he's worshiping him right there. And see, sanity is restored when we put the right view on God, when we return God to his rightful place in our lives. And look, he's always king of kings. He's always God of God. He's always Lord of lords, right? But if you don't see him as that way, you're going to be in trouble. Sanity is restored when we put the right view on God, the rightful place on our king. We can live in some sanity. (laughs) And maybe you're like me and you struggle with this from time to time and You need to be broken of that Babylonian mindset, the Babylon mindset. Let me tell you real quick, here's how you can do it. Sanity restored. Number one, I want you to say this to yourself. I will exalt God. It means I will worship him. I will glorify him. I will honor him. I will, will, man, he he is king of kings, Lord of lords, and I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I will exalt God in my life. Number two, I will acknowledge God. What does that mean? I will acknowledge, like Nebuchadnezzar said, his ways are right. His ways are just. His ways are fair. I will acknowledge all that he has done for me in my life. I will acknowledge all the ways that he has blessed me, all the things he has done for me. I'm going to acknowledge, God, I have nothing if it wasn't for you. The job I have, the friends I have, the church I have, the money I have, the relationships I have, all of it comes from you. All of the blessings come from you, God. I praise him, exalt him, acknowledge him. And finally, number three, say this, I will humble myself. What does the Bible say? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I need that grace. (laughs) You got to get on your knees and say, God, you are God. I am not. You are God. I am not. And what I would say is you can humble yourself or he can humble you for you. And I would much rather it be my choice. How about you? Listen, River Church, we're going to worship in a minute. We're going to exalt him in just a minute. And, and let me say this, don't go insane. Don't go insane. I don't want you coming in here eating like a cow. If I walk out here, somebody's eating the grass, I'm just going to kick you and go put you in the pound. I'm not helping you. 
Because I warned you, right? I warned you. The rest is up to God. (laughs) If you're living with that Babylon mentality, what I want for you is to be set free of it. I want you to be set free of it. And as the band comes comes this morning, if that's you, what we're going to do is we're going to start breaking that mentality by worshiping him today. We're going to exalt him today. That's the number one way that you can break that mentality is by worshiping him, putting him in his rightful place, lifting up high God, lifting him up, lifting him up, adoring him. Because when we lift him up, we're getting on a knee and we're saying, God, I worship you. You are king. You are Lord. You are God. And I am not. So this morning, let's break the Babylon mentality. He is king. He is God. He is Lord. We are not. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to just finish in worshiping our God today. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your grace that you don't just make us all go crazy, that you give us some grace and allow us some time to return to sanity. God, I pray today that if, if, if we're in here and, and we're struggling with this Babylon mindset, that we wouldn't feel, we wouldn't feel shame, we wouldn't feel guilt, but that, that, that you would reveal it to us and that you would heal us of it. And that we would start by exalting and worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God. There's something that happens in our spirit when we worship the King. There's something that happens in our hearts when we worship the King. And so, God, we, we get on our knees today and we, we worship you and we praise you and we exalt you, God. And I, I proclaim over this place, God, break the Babylon mentality in our hearts. And all the places where I live with the Babylon mentality, Lord, break it in me, God. You are God. I, I am not, God. I have nothing that I have done for myself, God. You've given me everything I have. You've given me every good thing in my life, God. And I I worship you for it. I adore you for it. I praise you for it, God. You have been so good to me, God. And the truth is, is you've been so good to all of us in this space, God. If nothing else, because you saved our souls, God. You've freed us from sin, God. You offer us eternal life. And so, God, today we worship you for it, God. We praise you for it, God. Lord, we need you in this place today. Christ, let me pray. Amen.